Don Freeman wrote the book Corduroy back in 1968. How many of you remember hearing Corduroy when you were younger? Is this a story we can relate to? Um, since he wrote it in 1968, it has sold over 20 million copies. It touches the heart of the human condition questions. How do we find love? How do we deal with personal imperfections? What's the path to happiness? Where will I find family? Will I ever feel like I'm at home? Am I on the path to a path that will bring peace and calm in my life? And who's directing that path? Who's making things happen on the path in front of me? Mr. Freeman, who wrote the book, he faced these questions. Paul, the apostle, who wrote the letters of Philippians, he faced these questions. The people in the church of Philippi faced these kinds of questions. We face these same kinds of questions. Today in the sermon, we're going to walk through a couple of pages of corduroy. We're going to keep an eye on the letter to the Philippians. And we'll also start exploring the conversion of Saul in our sermon and ask questions to our hearts this morning. So first question, if you will, who is missing a button? Can any of you relate to the feeling of just missing a button or two in your lives? All of us are missing a button or two. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has done things in our lives that we think it must have been somebody else who did that because we would never do that. Every one of us, I imagine even this past week, has known the right thing to do and has chosen to do the wrong thing. All of us are missing a button or two, if you will. The story of Corduroy appears to be one about a bear looking for a button. But it's really a story of seeking to be whole, wanting to be complete. Corduroy needs someone to reassure him that he is beautiful. He is perfect. He is wonderful just as he is. You could say he has a girl-shaped hole in his overalls, waiting for that little girl to come and take him home. Just like we all have God-shaped holes waiting to be filled. Paul visited the town of Philippi to share the good news about how Jesus would fill that hole. If you're looking at the map, you can see Philippi's right in the middle up on the top. There's the city of Philippi. Imagine you were living in Philippi when Saul came there. By the way, you'll hear me using the word Saul and Paul interchangeably. There wasn't a moment where his name changed from Saul to Paul. So I might say Saul, I might say Paul. It's the same person. In Philippi, your life seemed to be on track. You were on the crossroads between Greece and Turkey. Lots of commerce came through your town. You were named after Philip of Macedonia, who's the father who's the father of Alexander the Great. You likely have a good job. You likely have a big community and life is together. And then Saul comes to you 
and shares the news of Jesus Christ. You get on fire for the good news. You form the first of the known Christian churches there in Philippi. And then Saul leaves and writes back this letter to the Philippians, which we read some of earlier. Let's put up on the screen. Let's read some of the verses again. Read responsibly. I'll read the white if you'll read the yellow. All my prayers for you are full of praise to God. Because of all your wonderful help in making known the good news about Christ. Now, why does Paul share such positive words with the church? Well, he knows that church has been a financial source for the ministry. He's heard good things about the ministry there, so he says positive words. Paul also knows he has a job to be an encourager. A job to be one who lifts them up. And also, even though he's not sitting in Philippi, he knows how God has worked in his life, so he knows God must be working in their lives. Paul had shared with them the good news of God filling their holes in the life. They knew that they were complete in the love of Jesus Christ. Paul had pointed them to the difference maker and encourages them here to focus on the button fixer and not the hole. To focus on the button fixer and not the hole. Learned a little lesson about that this uh, past spring from the show American Idol. I watched the show American Idol and this woman named Leah, uh, Leah Marlene finished third in the competition even though I thought she was the best. And she wrote a song that really touched my heart. The lyrics are up here on the screen. She wrote these words. It's a finger trap. Keep you where you're at. You've got to lean in to get out. See where the pavement gives way to the flowers. The new life is growing in the layers you shed. Even the pavement gives way to the flowers. And you see, I put a picture up there of a finger trap. Have any of you had one of those on your finger before? This is a Luke relate to, right? And the more you pull, the more stuck you are, but if you give in, all of a sudden, it will release. If we stand there, just looking at the hole in our life, thinking about how bad we are, it's a finger trap. It pulls hard on our hearts. It gets a tighter grip on the false belief that God will never love us. God will never accept us. God will never be able to make us complete because of the hole that we've got. But if we lean into Christ and see how good he is, oh, then the joy comes. Just like Paul, we praise God and joy overflows our lives because we've leaned into the one who can fix anything that's missing in our life. New life breaks through the world's hardness and again we discover we are whole in him. Not H-O-L-E but W-H-O-L-E we are whole in him. Now Saul knew about breaking through hardness to calm. In Acts chapter 9 we have what's known as the conversion of Saul. Saul's on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. Right? He's got a mission that's the opposite of the mission of the church. As he's traveling, 
Saul sees a bright light and is knocked down to the ground. He's blinded by the light and he hears God's voice speaking to him. We're going to pick up in verse 5. Now the name Saul means to ask a question and that's exactly what he does. We see here, Saul, Paul, Saul asks, who is speaking, sir? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and await my further instructions. Now, I, I can't read Paul's mind here, but I can imagine some of the hundreds of questions that would be running through his mind at this point. Who's going to lead me? What will be there when I get there? Am I safe? I mean, I can't see. But trusting the God who had led him in the past, Paul walks into the future. He can't see anything except through the eyes of faith. But he goes on reading, starting in verse 7. The men with Paul stood speechless with surprise, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. As Paul picked himself up off the ground, he found that he was blind. He had to be led into Damascus and was there three days blind, going without food and water all that time. Paul chooses to fast, trusting that the God he fasts to will answer his prayers. Just like Daniel, when he was a time of great stress, fasted to the Lord, just like Jesus, when he was getting ready to take on his ministry, went through a time of fasting, just like Christians today will at times fast in order to seek God's leading and to remember that God provides. Did Paul feel uncertain? Likely. Was he fearful? Very likely. Was he trusting? Oh, yes. He, he need not have any fear for the future lest he for, unless he forget how God had led him in the past. And really, he had no other choice at this point. He had to walk forward. Life had dealt him a debilitating change. He would just have to walk on. People in the church of Philippi had felt the change when Paul had left them, but they carried on in ministry. Paul, whose conversion we will continue to explore next week, Paul experienced uncertainty, but later in his ministry, he wrote of the certainty of life in Christ. Paul may have been unsure of his tomorrow, but he was sure of God. We're going to put verse 6 up here on the wall, which we read earlier. It says, and I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. Now you might have noticed I highlighted the words began and finished. These are interesting Greek words. Began is anarchistai, uh, finishes epitaline, and they relate to Greek sacrifice. They are the words used for the beginning and the end of the sacrifice in the Greek way of worshiping. They would light a torch on the altar at the beginning. They would dip it in water, sprinkle a little something on it, have sacred silence praying to God that followed, and give a basket of barley grain at the end. And Paul is saying, the same one 
that you thought you were sacrificing to before, you can find it all in Jesus Christ. Paul uses Greek imagery to show them the truth of how Jesus indeed does everything for them. God was fully preparing the Philippians to be whole in him. God has fully prepared you to be made whole in him. His grace has done everything you need. Your button has been found. Paul knew of the broad boundaries of God's grace that it included him and his family after the terrible sinning he had done. And he wrote with confidence that God does it for them also. Our corduroy story stopped with corduroy out looking for the button. So if you go to look at your copy at home, this is where we stop the story. Our Philippian story stops with the assurance Paul gives them that they are whole in him. Corduroy is looking for wholeness in a button. Paul assures them that their wholeness is found in the grace of Jesus Christ. And he directs their attention to the grace that fulfills. This is the path for you and for me also. Jesus has paid it all. The grace has taken care of you and for me. And we are to walk in that truth. And we are to direct the attention of everyone we meet to that grace. We are to speak to others of how we are whole and they can be whole as well because Jesus has paid it all. You don't need to feel lost because God has a plan for you just like his plan included Paul, the church of Philippi, and me. You know, animals can teach us lessons about God's leading. Doug Batchelor wrote a few weeks ago um, a wonderful devotional about someone known as Polaris Jack. Polaris Jack, for 24 years, from 19, I mean 1888 to 1912, was a selfless animal that volunteered to guide ships through the French Pass, a dangerous channel in Admiralty Bay off of New Zealand. So you can see that's the, that's the channel that they're talking about. That's the book about him. That's the statue in honor of him. Uh, Batchelor goes on to write, this treacherous channel full of rocks and extremely strong currents had been the site of hundreds of shipwrecks before the intervention of this dedicated dolphin. Now, as you look more about this dolphin, it's an amazing thing that it was there to guide ships safely. Number one, it was a Rizzo's dolphin, which is not commonly found in New England. Number two, it swam near the land when dolphins normally don't swim that near land. And when the ships would arrive on one end, they would wait for Polaris Jack to come and find them. They'd make the 20 minute crossing with him leading and the dolphin would interact and play with the people on the ship while he was going. Mark Twain once wrote a Polaris Jack. A passenger ship called the Penguin once shot Polaris Jack and he bled for a while, but in a few weeks he was healed up, came back as a protected animal of the government. And from then on, he continued to guide ships, but always avoided the Penguin ship to not get shot again for another eight years. You know, the psalmist wrote about the assurance that God would guide in life as well. Here's Psalm 31.3, please read it with me. You are my rock and my fortress. You lead and guide me because of your name. Even in the strangest of waters, my friend, God is still there to help us. 
Paul took his job to guide the Philippians seriously. He wrote with assurance of what God wanted. Read it with me, if you will. And I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. Who is directing our paths? The God of grace and peace. Who will fill the holes in our lives? Jesus Christ who paid it all. Who offers us peace? God does it. He gives us enough we can share with others. Even so, may God continue to direct our paths. Even so, may we walk knowing we are not incomplete missing a button, but indeed we are complete in his grace. Even so, may God continue to give us opportunities to share others of the grace in which we live. Even so, may we treasure our chances to be the guides to others. Even so, may God quickly come into our lives so that we can be fountains of grace and peace. And all God's children said, Amen, amen and Amen.